Hello and welcome to Third Down Gamble, the CFL betting podcast. I'm your host, Kyle McMahon, and I'm glad to have you here for the first of what I hope to be many editions of the show. CFL football and the burgeoning world of sports betting are two of my passions, and it's my pleasure to combine the two into what will hopefully be a fun and informative weekly installment throughout the 2019 CFL season and beyond. Depending on how things line up, I might be joined at times by guests or collaborators, but it will just be my voice that you hear today. I'm going to discuss all things Canadian football, but of course with a specific focus on the weekly betting lines, numbers, and info that will hopefully give you an edge if you're looking to get in on the action. Stay up to date on new content by following me on Twitter at KDrive88, K-D-R-I-V-E-8-8, or check out the website firstlinepicks.com. I'd love to hear from you regarding anything related to the show, the CFL, or even just betting in general, so don't hesitate to leave a comment on the website or hit me up on Twitter. Once again, that's at KDrive88 or firstlinepicks.com. Alright, without further ado, let's jump into this. We've got nine different teams to preview today, and of course eight of them will be in action week one, which kicks off in Hamilton on Thursday night. We'll kick things off here by having a look at the Toronto Argonauts, and the reason for that is they begin the season with a bye week. Normally you'd prefer those bye weeks to occur inside the season, when you'll no doubt have a few guys nicked up with injuries, but with a new coaching staff in place, they probably don't mind an extra week to prepare. The Argonauts are considered long shots in the market right now, with the second worst Grey Cup odds, coming in around plus 1200 at most books, and I've seen plus 1400 at one shop. For those unfamiliar with the American odds system, that's a 13.0 in decimal format, or 12 to 1 for you horse racing fans. So last season was obviously a disaster for the Boatmen, posting a 4-14 record as the defending Grey Cup champs and losing Hall of Fame quarterback Ricky Ray to a career-ending injury in the process but I'm actually fairly confident in their ability to bounce back this season and threaten for a playoff spot, and I love the move to bring Corey Chamberlain back into the organization as head coach. When you look back on last year, Toronto's biggest undoing was in the defensive secondary, where they got torched with injuries. They went out and signed Kevin Fogg from Winnipeg, and he's a nice ad, but just keeping their starters on the field and healthy would make the biggest difference. One thing to remember as well is that Chamberlain was a defensive back in the NFL, so he knows this position inside and out, and he was also the defensive coordinator when they won the Grey Cup in 2017 before spending last year at Arkansas. So as far as coaching hires go, this was a perfect fit in my opinion, and I think Chamberlain is going to have a very positive impact, especially on that defense. There's still quite a few guys from 2017 on this unit, so there's definitely a familiarity between coach and player right off the bat. Then you look at the offense, and obviously the biggest question mark here is at the quarterback position. James Franklin is going to have another shot at establishing himself as a starter, and I'm sure he's put a lot of pressure on himself to seize this opportunity. But I can't help but think the leash might be fairly short with McLeod Bethel-Thompson standing behind him on the sidelines. I know the results weren't there last year for Bethel-Thompson, but personally I like the way he looked out there, and I I think there's some real potential there that was being held back by over-aggressive play calling. And that applies to Franklin as well, but that was an offense built to nickel and dime in the air and run the ball, but Tressman seemed to really call a lot of boomer bust deep balls and the constant two and outs killed them, especially with how banged up that defense was. So you've got a new offensive philosophy being employed by new offensive coordinator Jacques Chapdelaine, and from what I'm hearing out of camp, the players are really pleased with the direction this offense is going. Drill Walker was obviously a huge signing for them. He gives them one of the best deep threats in the league, and you've still got S.J. Green and Armonte Edwards, so there's plenty of weapons at their disposal in the passing game. 
They've still got a few running backs on the roster to choose from, and that was after letting Anthony Coombs go. I mean, if they could get a good bounce back here out of James Wilder Jr., they'll, they'll be in good shape here. But if he doesn't hit the ground running, they've got Mercer Timmis, Tyrell Sutton, and Chris Rainey all back there. I think there's definitely a chance one of these guys gets moved before their first game, but either way, they've got options. Plus, Declan Cross is one of the best fullbacks in the league as well. So there's definitely the potential to score points here if Franklin can find his game. So to get back to the championship odds prices, I'd classify Toronto as a conceivable long shot, and I do think there's a little bit of value in this number if you can find it above plus 1300. I like this team to potentially flirt with a 500 record, and I think 8 and 10 will be enough to get you a playoff spot in the Eastern Division this year. And of course, as this team showed us two years ago, if you get into the playoffs, anything can happen in a single game on a frozen field in November. I think there's definitely dark horse potential in Toronto here. I had them projected for 7.5 wins initially, and I definitely lean towards 8 right now. As I mentioned off the top, the season will begin on Thursday night with the Hamilton Tiger Cats hosting the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Hamilton comes into this year poised to finish atop the Eastern Division, and that's in large part due to being the lone Eastern team who will have a proven starter at the quarterback position. Given that, it's no surprise that the books are giving them the best chance of any Eastern Division team, sitting around plus 550 or 6.50 to take home the Grey Cup. Hamilton's one of several teams who will have a new head coach on the sideline in 2019, as Orlando Steinhauer will take the reins of the organization where he served as defensive coordinator for several years. This is another coaching hire that I like. Steinhauer is a former player in this league and has certainly put in his time as a coordinator. I like the offense that former coach June Jones ran, and it's too bad that he decided to head back down south rather than stay and run the offense for Steinhauer, which was the original plan. But Steinhauer is a guy who knows this league well, and I think we'll see less of those head-scratching decisions during games that we regularly saw from Jones. The Tiger Cats having Jeremiah Masoli under center gives this offense a real leg up on the competition out east at the most important position, and they might also have the best offensive line in the CFL right now, with four strong Canadian starters plus Riker Matthews coming back. If you ask any coach in this league what two positions they don't want to have a problem at, they're going to tell you quarterback and O-line, and it should be clear sailing of both of them for Steinhauer. This offense is going to score points, I, I have little doubt of that. On the defensive side of the ball, I think they'll be alright, but definitely short of elite. Larry Dean was a big loss at middle linebacker and free agency. They did shore up the defensive line by scooping Jagarek Davis from Calgary. They didn't have a lot of sacks last season, and Davis was definitely brought in to address that. The secondary looks good again. Delvin Bro is your lockdown defensive back, and teams might have to challenge Rico Murray, who had five picks last year in Ottawa. Linebacker could be a bit thin. They need to stay healthy at this position, because I'm not sure about their depth. But on the whole, this unit should be average at worst with Steinhauer driving the bus, assuming reasonable luck injury-wise. As far as the odds go, betters have been all over this number for weeks now. If you were able to grab Hamilton at plus 910.0 to win the Grey Cup back in March, your investment is looking wise as they tumbled down to plus 550, and that's a number that might shrink further if they got off to a good start. From my perspective, I would be quite surprised if this team isn't hosting the Eastern Final, and presumably they would not be facing any sort of juggernaut in that game, so the path to the final certainly looks clear. I'd be a bit leery of jumping on this number now since you'd be buying high, but at the same time, it wouldn't shock me to see it in the plus 400 range by Labor Day if all goes well in Steeltown. My projections have the Cats at 11.5 wins right now, perhaps a little bullish, but there's really no excuse not to have a winning record this year.
When it comes to the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, there is seldom a dull offseason, and this one was no different. The Riders didn't make a great deal of changes on the field, but the organization will certainly feel the loss of GM and head coach Chris Jones's presence. The Riders elected to promote from within, and I think Craig Dickinson was the right move here. If he makes the transition from coordinator to coach as well as his brother has, the Riders are in good hands going forward. It's no secret that the Riders were actively trying to upgrade their quarterback position in free agency, but they were unable to land any of the big fish, and so they'll turn again to Zach Caleros. Injuries have taken their toll on Caleros, so keeping him healthy and on the field in and of itself has proven a challenge in recent years. It would certainly be a bonus if he suits up for all 18 games, but even if he does, I'm not overly confident in this offense. Saskatchewan has a lot of depth at receiver, but I don't believe they have any true game breakers at the moment. They're certainly high on Kyron Moore, but he's unproven, and I think Neyman Roosevelt is a very good number two, but he's not scaring opposing defenses. And we'll see what they can get out of Manny Arsenault, but he's 31 and coming off a major injury. I like the addition of running back William Powell. He gives the Riders a workhorse back, and he should see the bulk of the carries. I'm not sure the Riders' passing game is going to get enough respect to open up holes at the second level, though. I don't think this offense is going to reach the depths they did last year when they were completely awful on numerous occasions, but offensive coordinator Steve McAdoo has yet to run an offense in this league that has outperformed their talent level, and I think this will be another season that has a lot of Ryder fans dissatisfied with their offensive production. Obviously the story on defense is quite a bit different. An already talented unit beefed up further by adding Micah Johnson to the defensive line and Solomon Elamimian at linebacker. Johnson should slide into Willie Jefferson's spot after he signed with the Bombers, and with Charleston Hughes and A.C. Leonard on that line, there, there should be no issues at this position. Linebacker is going to be a bigger concern, especially with Elamimian possibly on the shelf until August, but the Riders do have the depth at this position to make do for the time being. That secondary is certainly going to scare opposing quarterbacks, and Nick Marshall is already a stud entering his second year. Between him, Ed Ganey, and Luchez Purifoy, this defense should create plenty of turnovers. I do wonder what level of aggression we're going to see out of them this year. Chris Jones ran extremely aggressive risk-reward defenses. The result was Saskatchewan not being at the level of, say, the Stampeders in terms of point suppression, but they scored so often themselves that it more than made up for it last year. There's still a ton of talent out there, and obviously these guys haven't all forgotten how to play defense over the winter, but it's going to be hard to maintain the level they were at without Jones drawing up the schemes. Say what you will about his inability to field great offenses, but there's no denying that Jones is one of the best defensive minds this league has seen in recent memory. The Green Riders have hovered around the plus 700, 8.0 mark in the Grey Cup Futures market. While it's true that a pretty similar roster won 12 games last season, it's tough to give them a better-than-average chance at winning the Grey Cup that this line implies. I think some people's general dislike of Jones personality-wise has maybe led them to underestimate the impact he had on their success. I've got them projected for 9 wins this year, and I think there's a pretty good chance they make the playoffs, but I believe they're a little overpriced right now. Looking ahead to the game on Thursday, we saw the Tiger Cats open as minus 2.5 favorites with an over-under total of 49.5. The market has not been shy in expressing their confidence in Hamilton as this line quickly moved on to the key number of minus 3 and is already pushing towards minus 3.5. Teams don't tend to travel particularly well in week 1, especially if they're going halfway across the country, so I think that puts Hamilton at a situational advantage right off the bat. 
You've got the early injury issues creeping up in Regina. Elamimian is out, of course, but Brendan Labatt's status isn't certain right now either, and that would be a big loss on the offensive line. This is a big game for Hamilton. They were supposed to contend last year and started 2-4, and four, and if you remember back to two years ago, they face-planted right out of the gate. I think they were 0-8 after being picked to win the division. So from an optics perspective, they need a solid start to this season, or people are going to be thinking, here we go again. So I think there's probably some level of internal pressure to come out firing in the home opener. Something to keep in mind as well is that Orlando Steinauer saw Zach Claros in practice every day for years when they were together in Hamilton. He knows his tendencies, and I think even something little like that can give you an edge in week one when there are so many other unknowns. This number seems well on its way to minus three and a half, where I expect you'll start to see resistance. If you were able to jump on the Tiger Cats at minus two and a half while it was available, the opportunity might exist for an early season middle with Saskatchewan plus three and a half on the other side. A single point of movement isn't typically grounds to attempt a middle, but the key number of three is the lone exception. A full 12.4% of CFL games, which is basically one out of every eight, has finished with a winning margin of exactly three points over the last ten seasons. Line moving across the number three is no small consideration. The total has also seen heavy action thus far, being driven down to 47.5 in some places. I think the two games between these teams last season probably plays some part in that, with only 82 total points being scored. I also suspect that the appeal towards the under is probably more a reflection of perceptions surrounding Saskatchewan than those surrounding Hamilton. You've got a great defense combined with an offense with a lot of question marks around it, and people start thinking low-scoring game right off the bat. In reality, though, thanks in large part to how much scoring that defense was able to do last year, the Riders played in 11 games last season that hit 50-plus points. Hamilton had 12 such games. I didn't have a strong position on the original number, but if this total goes any lower, I definitely think the over starts to look attractive. Moving along to Friday night, we will see the Montreal Alouettes and their new, and I mean brand new, head coach Kahari Jones traveling to Edmonton to take on a new look Eskimos team. I can't ever recall a coach being one of the casualties on cutdown day, but that's exactly what happened last Saturday to Mike Sherman. If the rumors are true that the players are on the verge of a mutiny, to the point that the CFL allegedly had league officials sitting behind the Owls' bench during their second preseason game in case a situation arose, they are certainly in better hands going forward, but this kind of bomb dropping a week before the season is still a bad look for a franchise that hasn't had many good looks under GM Cavus Reed's watchful eye. I would consider Kahari Jones a passable hire, and obviously the Owls weren't going to do any better, definitely not at this late stage. The offenses he ran in BC were nothing special, and we all remember how bad this Montreal offense was last year under him. Now to be fair, I don't think anyone was going to get a lot of production out of that Montreal roster last season, especially with the revolving door at quarterback, but Jones is going to have to find a way to coach up a unit that really only added receiver Devere Posey in terms of players likely to have a significant impact. Antonio Pipkin is getting the ball to start, and we'll see if he can build off a reasonably good rookie season that saw him get a handful of starts amidst the Johnny Manziel circus. That distraction is gone, but we still don't know what we truly have in Pipkin. If he struggles, Montreal is going to be turning to Vernon Adams, and no offense to Adams, but there's a reason he's bounced around holding clipboards for the last three years. I'm surprised they didn't bring in any actual veterans to training camp even, either to mentor Pipkin or serve as a plan B if he falters. Kavis Reed has put all his eggs in Pipkin's basket. Fingers crossed it works out for them, but it's hard to foresee this offense not bringing up the rear again in 2019. 
I do think Montreal has the makings of a capable defense. I love the Siante Evans signing. I think he was one of the more unheralded elite defensive backs in the CFL during his time in Calgary. He got hurt on Labor Day last season, and the Stampeders promptly gave up six offensive touchdowns in the rematch a few days later. So between him, another former Stamp and Tommy Campbell, former NFLer Marcus Cromartie, and new safety Taylor Loeffler, the secondary should be strong if they can stay healthy. Where this defense is going to run into trouble is in the front seven where depth appears to really be lacking. If a Hinoch Muamba or Patrick Levels were to go down, there's going to be a big hole in the linebacking core. If Montreal's offense can move the ball well enough to take some of the pressure off this defense, I think they can hang in there, but I definitely have concerns about them getting worn down as the season goes on, and they don't appear to have the depth to cope with many injuries. Montreal's Grey Cup odds have risen to the plus 1900 or 20.0 number in most books. There's certainly some appeal on such a big number in a nine-team league where you never truly know how anyone is going to look until they actually start playing games, but Montreal winning a Grey Cup would go beyond a normal type of long shot. If they even made the playoffs this year, it would be considered a pretty big surprise, so for me, this just isn't worth it. I have the Owls projected to win five games this year. I think they'll probably look a little better in doing so than last year when they went 5-13, and but it's still going to be a long season there by the looks of things. The outlook in Edmonton is somewhat brighter. The roster that missed the playoffs last year despite finishing 9-9 has been completely rebuilt on both sides of the ball. Jason Moss is back for a fourth season as head coach, but defensive coordinator Philip Lawley replaces Mike Benavides. There's some cautious optimism that this defense is going to look better under Lawley, who is expected to run a more aggressive scheme than Benavides' bend-but-don't-break defenses. He'll have big free agent signing Larry Dean patrolling the middle of the field at the linebacker spot. This is a big pickup for an Eskimos team that has been bitten hard by the injury bug at this position in recent years. Javon Santos-Knox was also brought in to shore up the depth here, and I think the outlook at this position is better than it has been in recent seasons. The secondary was also an area of concern last year, and another free agent pickup in Anthony Orange, along with halfback outside linebacker hybrid Don Unamba, should improve things. Newcomer Taekwon Glass drew rave reviews in camp as well, so that's a rookie to keep an eye on. Up front, Almondo Sewell is one of the most imposing interior linemen in the league, and Canadian rush end Kwaku Boateng is looking to build off a strong 2018 season. So there's no doubt that Eskimos GM Brock Sunderland has brought in the pieces to build a strong defensive unit, but the big question will be if they can all put it together on the field. On the other side of the ball, you have the biggest change, obviously, Trevor Harris replacing Mike Riley at quarterback. Riley's certainly going to be missed, but Sunderland convincing Harris and receiver Greg Ellingson to come over to Edmonton from Ottawa at least provides some good consolation. Tavares Daniels is another dynamic receiver if he can manage to stay healthy, but the 1-2 combination of Darrell Walker and Duke Williams probably can't quite be replicated. This offense was enigmatic in 2018. They racked up huge yardage through the air and put up points in bunches, but unfortunately they were also prone to going entire halves without scoring a single point. There was a game in Hamilton last August where they scored 24 points in the second quarter and lost the game 25-24. So while the raw amount of points in yardage doesn't necessarily need to improve, situational awareness and execution certainly does, and a lot of that is going to fall on the shoulders of Jason Moss. Moss has come under fire from this fan base for some of the decisions made on the sidelines during his tenure, and the scheming and play calling was frequently a sore spot during the second half of last season. I'd like to believe that this offense can make the grade, but I'm not confident in Coach Moss's ability to get the most out of this group. 
Sir Vincent Rogers going down for the season at the start of training camp left a huge hole on the offensive line, which was already dealing with Justin Sorensen's retirement. Harris is going to need strong protection to execute Moss's playbook, so the depth guys on this line are really going to need to step up in order for them to be successful. The odds of the Grey Cup being won by the Eskimos is listed at around plus 1100 or 12.0, pretty much across the board. I think this number is pretty much bang on, hence the lack of movement we've seen. If there's a dark horse in the West, it's probably Edmonton just due to the number of changes and the potential that exists if everything goes right, but competition within the division is very strong. I have them projected to win eight games this season. I'd say they're more likely to exceed that number than fall below it if they get some decent injury luck and the defense is able to gel. But there's going to be a lot of games decided by one possession in the West, and Moss's tactical shortcomings may become a liability in those situations. As for the game itself, the Eskimos have opened as huge minus 10 favorites against the Owls, with a total set at 52. This line has been very stagnant thus far, with no signs of movement either way. As I mentioned earlier, it's tough to break camp on the weekend and travel across the country a few days later to play your first game, and I'd imagine the coaching situation hasn't made preparation any easier for the Owls. But this is a hefty number for an opening game, especially when one of the teams has flipped over half their roster and we don't really know what we're going to get out of them yet. Personally, I'm very leery of laying double digits in a season opener. Montreal's defense is fresh, obviously, and doesn't have as many new faces as Edmonton's, so I think that's an advantage in Week 1, especially against an offense with a new quarterback and receiving core. From the Alouette perspective, the big concern to me is whether they can score enough points to cover this number. I expect Edmonton to bring pressure and try to rattle Pipkin. He's got some mobility to counter that, but I think how well Edmonton's outside linebackers are able to protect the edge could go a long way in determining how effective this Owl's offense is going to be. The total is more intriguing to me in this matchup. 52 felt a touch high, and we've seen this number track downwards towards 51. I think both these teams are going to have better defenses and offenses this year, and certainly Montreal will. Overbetters definitely gravitated to Edmonton last year, but even with those stars on offense and a defense that was hit and miss, their games only hit 50 points 10 out of 18 times, mainly due to underperformances by the offense. I certainly have enough respect for this Montreal defense that I think they can hold Edmonton under 30, so barring a special teams or defensive score, I like this total to land under. I don't think Montreal has the horses on offense to turn this into any kind of shootout, so look for them to try and control the ball and reduce possessions. The CFL schedule makers give us a double dip on Saturday, starting with a Grey Cup rematch between the Ottawa Red Blacks and the Calgary Stampeders. It's hard to remember any team ever losing as much talent as Ottawa did this offseason, as seemingly every key free agent on their roster has found a new address in 2019. With the dust now settled, they're left with Dominic Davis as their starting quarterback, at least for now. Jonathan Jennings was brought in from BC to compete for that job, and he'll be serving as the backup. Davis has looked reasonably solid in a limited amount of reps in previous seasons, but this will be his first chance at holding down a starting job. I would expect some growing pains, but I think there's long-term potential for success with Davis. Ottawa preferred to move the ball through the air last season, despite William Powell in the backfield, and I'm anticipating more of the same this year. I'm somewhat surprised by the running back situation in Ottawa. Moses Madu and Brendan Glanders are who they'll be going with in the backfield to start, and while both these guys have had some spot duty in the past, I'm not sure either one really has the makings of a feature back. Powell ran for 1,300 yards last year, and to my eye, the Red Blacks have not adequately replaced him. 
The good news here is that they should be dressing an all-Canadian offensive line that might be pretty good and open up holes along the line, but I do think there's a good chance we see somebody else back there to tote the rock sooner or later. Greg Ellingson and Deontay Spencer are big losses to the passing game, but the Red Blacks do believe in their group. They're high on Dominic Rimes, and RJ Harris should have an expanded rule this season, but it could be tough sledding without Spencer there to draw primary coverage. I think this offense will probably be able to tread water, but the other side of the ball worries me. This front seven wasn't all that great last year at either pressuring quarterbacks or stopping the run, and they've lost A.C. Leonard along that D-line, who was their only all-star in the front seven in 2018. Their Canadian depth is strong as it is throughout the roster, and it's a bit of an odd thing to say, but it's their talent at the import positions that appears to be lacking. They're going to need at least a couple guys to really step up and have big seasons, or I suspect teams are going to run them over inside the hash marks. The secondary should be okay, but you're dealing with yet another player loss here in Rico Murray. We're still seeing Ottawa listed in the plus 800, 9.0 range to win the Grey Cup at a lot of books, and to be honest, this number really surprises me. I believe the number of elite players that walked out the door in free agency is too much to overcome in a single offseason. There's always the chance that the scouting department hit a bonanza in off-season recruiting, but until some of these newcomers and depth guys that have moved up the roster demonstrate the ability to execute, it's going to be a challenge here for sure. My projection has the Red Blacks at 7 wins and out of the playoffs, which maybe sounds harsh for a team that has been to 3 of the past 4 Grey Cups, but I think they've simply lost too many pieces to be a threat this season. The Calgary Stampeders certainly know what it's like to lose key pieces, as four All-Stars from the defensive side of the ball are no longer with them. Former defensive MOP middle linebacker Alex Singleton is irreplaceable in the heart of that defense, and losing both Micah Johnson and Jagarrett Davis along the defensive line was a blow as well. GM John Huffnagel has done an impeccable job of replacing departed talent up until now, and it wouldn't surprise anyone if he and his scouting staff have uncovered a couple more gems. Replacing four All-Stars is a big ask, though, even for Huffnagel. Calgary appears to have the depth to deal with the departures on the D-line, as Cordero Law, Junior Turner, and Derek Wigan are all very capable veterans, but I'm expecting this unit to take a step backwards elsewhere. Canadian linebacker Corey Greenwood has huge shoes to fill as he'll slide into Singleton's spot. Greenwood started a handful of games for Toronto three seasons ago, but has largely been a special teams player during his career. The 31st pick in this year's draft, Fraser Sopic, might eventually have a role to play in this linebacking core as well, but that's likely down the road. For now, Calgary is going to need some pleasant surprises at this position if they're going to come anywhere close to last year's league-leading defensive totals. Fortunately for the Stampeders, they should remain strong in coverage, with Trey Roberson looking to build off a stellar rookie season, and Jamar Wall should serve as their coverage linebacker-slash-defensive halfback-type hybrid. While there are question marks on defense, there should be no concerns when it comes to scoring points. Keeping Bo Levi Mitchell was paramount, and for all they lost in free agency, they kept the one man they couldn't afford to lose. Don Jackson and Terry Williams should form a strong duo in the backfield, and you can add Romar Morris's name to that mix as well when he comes off the injured list. Eric Rogers will headline the receiver core in his first full season back in the CFL after an NFL stint, and there are plenty of other weapons here, even with Kamar Jordan still recovering from last year's season-ending injury. Due to offensive lineman Brad Erdos going down for the season early in camp, it's likely the Stampeders will dress three imports along the line. Erdos is a significant loss, but the Stampeders have never had issues finding replacements at this position. They may not be quite as strong as in previous years, but I still don't think the line will be any sort of weakness. 
What Erdos' injury does mean is that ratio considerations might lead to two Canadian receivers as part of the regular package. Juwan Breskison is obviously going to fill the first of those spots, and I'm anticipating a big season from him. The Stampeders are rightfully listed as the Grey Cup favorites once again, settling in at plus 300 or 4.0 at most shops. I think there's enough competition in the West to take a wait-and-see approach with this number. I have no doubt that the Stampeders are going to contend again, but I think it's fair to call them one of the contenders this year rather than the favorite. The only scenario in which a number as low as this will have value is if Calgary finishes first in the West again. That is certainly a reasonable outcome, but far from a guarantee. This number isn't going to dip much lower unless Calgary comes out and blows the doors off everyone in the first few weeks of the year, so there's little reason to back them at this point. At just short of 12 wins, I have the Stampeders projected to battle for first place again, but they will have competition. Calgary opened as minus 6.5 favourites to top Ottawa on Saturday's Grey Cup rematch, a line that was quickly steamed out to minus 7.5 and has continued to grow, now sitting as high as minus 8.5 in some places. Much like the futures market, I believe the books have overestimated Ottawa here. The Stampeders beat the Red Blacks by margins of 10, 24, and 11 points last season, the last of those obviously coming in the Grey Cup. Again, we're dealing with a situation where a team is traveling across the country in week one, and despite all those losses on defense, Calgary still has to be considered the best team in the CFL until proven otherwise. Both these coaches should have their teams ready for this one, but it just comes down to the talent on the field for me, and, and you have to give Calgary the edge at most positions here. You've got Bo Levi Mitchell in the prime of what appears to be a Hall of Fame career, going up against the guy who's never been a starter in this league before. The Red Blacks will certainly be game here, but minus 6.5 was a bit of a miscalculation. I was all over this number shortly after it opened, and I think we could potentially see it push close to double digits by kickoff time. As far as the total goes, we've seen a bit of movement, but nothing dramatic. This opened at 52.5, and, and it's still sitting at 52 in most places. The weather in Calgary is expected to be good on Saturday, so that shouldn't be a factor. As mentioned, I like Calgary's offense, but something to be mindful of is that Dave Dickinson typically doesn't blow teams out in the second half. If Calgary has a firm hold on this game in the fourth quarter, I think you probably see Bo Levi give way to back up Nick Arbuckle and Calgary just try to grind clock. For that reason, I'd tread cautiously around this total, and if you're inclined to take the over here, the first half total of 25.5 or 26 might be the safer play. Week 1 will draw to a close on Saturday evening with what I would call the most interesting game on this week's slate as the Blue Bombers head west to take on the BC Lions. It's the start of a new era in BC with the return of quarterback Mike Riley to the left coast and former Calgary defensive coordinator Devon Claybrooks assuming the head coaching role in place of the retired Wally Buono. Expectations are high for the Leos this year, as you might expect after signing a former MOP and Grey Cup champion to lead their offense. Last year was a bit of a tough go for BC as they rotated between Jonathan Jennings, who frequently struggled, and Travis Lule, whose health concerns were always at the forefront. They're now locked and loaded at the most important position, and we should see a more effective offense this season. Just how much more effective it will be is anyone's guess, but I think expectations do need to be kept in check to an extent. I like this receiving core, and if Jerron Carter has his head in the game this year, he'll provide a dangerous deep threat. Brian Burnham and Lamar Durant are fully capable in the 2-3 slots, and the Lions have high hopes for non-import rookie Javon Katoy. I'm less in love with BC's running game, though. They struggled on the ground last season, and I'm not sure the outlook is a whole lot better right now. Veteran John White was signed after playing in Hamilton last season, and he's always been a good blocker who can put in workmanlike performances, but injuries have greatly limited him throughout his career. 
Brandon Rutley, Wayne Moore, and Jamel Lyles will probably all be given a chance to impress, and it would be a real boon to this offense if one of them can have a breakout season. Local boy Suk Chung returning home will provide an added boost to the offensive line that might be a nice surprise this year if they can stay healthy. If the Lions can get consistent production on the ground, this offense will be potent, but that remains to be seen. The Lions are probably going to play their fair share of high-scoring games this season, and one of the reasons I suggest this is that I'm really not overly impressed with this defense. This is where Claybrooks is really going to have to earn his money. The secondary might have more questions than answers right now after Anthony Orange signed with Edmonton, and BC is going to need a solid bounce-back season from newly signed defensive halfback Aaron Grimes, who didn't look great last year with the Eskimos. If he can complement Gary Peters and TJ Lee, BC might be alright in this area, but their depth appears thin for the time being, and this extends into the linebacking core. Jordan Herdman-Reed is going to need a big year for sure, and another former Eskimo Adam Konar needs to stay healthy. The defensive line appears to be the biggest strength of this unit, with Devon Coleman and Junior Luke forming a very solid interior, and the old Mayor of Swaggerville, Odell Willis, should harass opposing quarterbacks off the edge. I have a lot of faith in Clay Brooks and longtime defensive coordinator Rich Stubler's abilities to lead this defense, but they can only work with what they've been given, and any key injuries could put them in a tough spot. There has clearly been some market volatility with regards to the Lions, who can be found anywhere from plus 304.0 to plus 506.0 in the Grey Cup futures market. This number is built off of Riley-driven hype, but I think the market has overreacted to a single free agent signing. You need more than just a quarterback to win a Grey Cup, and while it wouldn't exactly be a surprise to see the Lions holding the trophy in November, this roster is too pedestrian in other areas to warrant this hefty price tag. I have BC pegged at just under 10 wins this season, and you should see these odds swing back the other way as the season progresses, and they presumably find themselves in a battle for a home playoff date with some of the other big boys out west. It might sound surprising to hear that I only expect their win total to increase by one or remain flat after signing Mike Riley, but the Lions won a couple of games last year under what we shall term rather fortuitous circumstances, and I think their record was somewhat inflated. One of those other playoff contenders will no doubt be the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, who are looking to finally get over the hump and make it to the last Sunday in November after several good seasons that have come up short in recent years. Winnipeg will enjoy one big advantage that almost nobody else in the CFL has, and that's continuity when it comes to both the roster and the coaching staff. Coach Mike O'Shea will field largely the same personnel as last season, one in which Winnipeg finished 10-8 after rebounding from a big mid-season slump. The quarterback position has long been one of interest in Winnipeg, with Matt Nichols always seeming to bounce back with a good stretch of play just when it looks like his job might be in jeopardy. Backup Chris Strevler showed well when called upon last season and will provide a solid insurance policy, but there's no doubt that Nichols is O'Shea's undisputed starter. This offense has been and will continue to be built around star Canadian running back Andrew Harris. Harris had the luxury of running behind one of the CFL's top offensive lines last year, but that unit has been weakened with the losses of Suk Chung in free agency and Matthias Gosen to retirement. The Bombers still have some excellent men at their disposal though, so I expect this front to remain effective. I would classify Winnipeg's group of receivers as good not great at the moment. There's definitely strong depth here, but perhaps no individual game breaker either. A couple of newcomers in Kenny Lawler and Lucky Whitehead have people excited. Lawler looks strong in preseason, and Whitehead showed exceptional speed and could be used in the return game. But this is an offense that has never relied on the big play, preferring to wear down defenses with Harris in an intermediate passing game. 
If Nichols can limit turnovers, which have always seemed to come in bunches for him, this might be the most efficient offense in the league. Mike O'Shea has done a good job of playing to the strengths of the players he has at his disposal, and I expect more of the same this year. Winnipeg's defense was strong last season, and there's no immediate reason to expect a decline. Willie Jefferson will team with Drake Nevis and Jackson Jeffcoat to form what should be a formidable defensive line, and of course you've still got Adam Big Hill patrolling the middle of the field. The Bombers will miss safety Taylor Loeffler and defensive back Kevin Fogg, but this is still a secondary that shouldn't cause them too many headaches if they stay healthy. More than anyone else in the league, I believe we have a pretty good idea of what we're going to get out of Winnipeg, and that's a team capable of beating anyone else, be it through offense, defense, or both. The Bombers are a near lock to be in the playoffs, and I would be surprised if they weren't hosting a playoff game in November. With that in mind, we see their Grey Cup odds about where you'd expect them to be, coming in at plus 600 or 7.0 in most places. I think the books have pretty much got this one nailed down, but if you're eyeing the Bombers, now is probably your best chance to enter the market. Winnipeg has what projects to be a very manageable schedule through the first two months of the year. This opening week trip to BC Place might actually be their toughest test until an August meeting with the Stampeders. A 5-2 start to the year seems well within their grasp, so these odds seem more likely to shrink than do the opposite. My projections have Winnipeg sitting on 11.5 wins right now, and if they could get to 12, that would probably be enough to capture first place. We saw the Lions open as minus 3 favourites in this matchup, a number that vanished almost immediately, and has since stabilised at minus 2. The total opened at 52.5, with some action coming in on the under, pushing it down a point. The money line has actually seen more of a swing thus far, with the open of Lions minus 170, or 159, quickly being bet down to minus 130, or 1.77. This raises an interesting question when it comes to betting strategy, as to whether you're better off taking or laying the points, or simply trying to pick a straight-up winner on the money line. What I can tell you is this. 10% of all CFL games are decided by one or two points, so there is a non-trivial potential to get burned by making the riskier play of Bombers on the money line or BC minus the two, depending on which side you favor. This is probably the line I'm most interested in observing in the lead-up to kickoff, because it seems like a good candidate to have a lot of casual money come in on the Lions as the game nears, by betters eager to back Mike Riley at home only giving up a couple of points. But out of all the visiting teams this week, I do believe the Bombers are best positioned to hit the highway and come back with a victory. And that's for the simple reason that they don't have a new coaching staff trying to implement their playbook or a bunch of new players trying to learn it. If there's anyone I'd expect to hit the ground running on both sides of the ball in the first game of the season, the Bombers are that team. I definitely like the idea of getting points on a team that could finish with the most wins in the CFL this season. I think the sharper money, so to speak, is probably going to come in more on the side of Winnipeg, but I will be curious to see if that actually drives this line down any closer to the zero. I'm surprised to see this total actually trend downwards from the open, given the offensive capabilities of both these teams. Winnipeg was an over-machine last year before the weather got cold, with their games hitting 52 or more points in 10 of the first 12 weeks. Nobody really showed any ability to slow that offense down last year, other than when Matt Nichols forgot how to play football for a couple weeks mid-season. I guess where I'm going here is, I'd be surprised to see the Bombers kept under 30 by a defense that I just don't trust yet. So the question is, can you get more than 20 out of the Lions? They certainly think so, and with a new safety back there for Winnipeg, I definitely think Riley is going to have the green light to test that secondary. So I would give this over 51.5 a serious look. As far as your best bet goes for week one, 
Value-wise, it's tough to argue with the Stampeders if you were able to grab them at minus 6.5 or frankly even minus 7.5. With that number moving like it has, I think the opportunity is probably gone now, so I'll circle back to the number I just discussed, and that's over 51.5 in BC Winnipeg. I think we see some points here from these offenses. Alright, I think that will about do it here for the maiden voyage of the Third Down Gamble podcast. For those of you who took the time to listen, I thank you, and hopefully you'll join me again throughout the season as I plan on making this a weekly installment. Likes, follows, shares, and your comments, positive or negative, are always welcome and appreciated. Once again, you can get in touch on Twitter by following me at kdrive88 or by visiting firstlinepicks.com. Hope to see you next time, and best of luck with your wagers.